this bill tries to define male and female as binary. You could not legislate binary sex any more than you could legislate that the earth is flat. Intersex people exist, trans people exist, and this bill doesn't change that. If you are forcing a trans child to go through puberty when they are trans, that is tantamount to torture. If you vote yes on this bill and yes on these amendments, I hope the next time there's an invocation, when you bow your heads in prayer, you see the blood on your hands. Talking about what the media won't, you're listening to the Democratic Messaging Project with Joe Ranty. So, Representative Zephyr, I first want to thank you for being here and being willing to do the podcast for the Democratic Messaging Project. You have become one of my sheroes, of which I have a pantheon. I collect sheroes, but you're one of them. When you stood up to the whole of the Montana State Legislature, love the images. I loved how you connected with the media. I just loved your presence. Thank you so much for being here. Of course, I'm, this is amazing to get to be here and chat with you all. Oh, good. To give background to our audience in April, 2023, not April of 1957, uh, 2023, Montana Republicans blocked you, Representative Zephyr, who had been elected to speak on the House floor. They blocked you from speaking on the House floor because of comments you made about Sen- a Senate bill which tried to legislate a population of binary sexes, just women and just men and nothing outside of the cisgender lines. It would also prohibit transgender minors and their parents and doctors from pursuing a range of medical treatments, including hormone therapy, puberty blockers, and gender affirming surgery, which Lauren Wilson, the president of the state chapter of the American Pediatric Association, wrote, taking away this care without a doubt does harm. This is the only medical standard of care that will now be decided by a state legislative body rather than by a doctor and more states have followed suit. During the debate of this bill, you said in your opening statement that legislators would see blood on their hands. Can you say what happened after that amazing statement so the statement was at the the end of my speech. And again, you talked about the harm that uh, Dr. Lauren Wilson uh, spoke to. And it's important that we know statistically that trans youth who receive gender affirming care have up to a 73% reduction in suicidality. But we also had examples of real harm in our state. A doctor, ER doctor sent all legislators a message about a teen who had come in suicidal and then they tried to figure out what was going on. The trans teen kept saying, my state doesn't want me. My state doesn't want me. Mm -hmm. And that is an example of real harm. We had an example of during one of the hearings, a a 14-year-old trans girl attempted to take her own life while watching the hearing. And we know that because that's how her mother found her in her room with the hearing up on her TV. That was a hearing in which Democrats, myself included, begged the chair to stop the people who were coming up and giving testimony from making accusations about LGBTQ people being groomers, being pedophiles, et cetera. Our plights were ignored. And so at the end of my speech, it felt important to say, if you vote for this bill, there's blood on your hands. And following that, 
uh, the legis uh, the Speaker of the House decided he wasn't going to allow me to speak. Uh, it went to the board and the Republican supermajority agreed with that. Uh, in the following days, after several days of not being allowed to speak on the floor, Montanans from across the state came to the Capitol for a rally uh, and then stood up in the gallery to watch the proceedings, much like when um, the anti-union bills were brought by Republicans. Union workers would line the halls. In this, in this case, when they refused to let me speak again, the people in the gallery began chanting, let her speak. Um, I stood in solidarity and raised my mic with them uh, to say, yes, your voice is not being heard. It should be heard on this House floor. That is democracy. We need to have those who are elected be able to partake in those debates. Uh, the speaker sent um, police, riot police up there. Um, seven people were arrested. Uh, and as of like a week or two ago, all of those charges were dropped. Um, in the process, these uh, county attorneys didn't even um, bring the charges forward, recognizing, again, that it was, in their words, quote, in the best interest of democracy that the charges not go forward. Well, at least they did that. Um, what I, what, what, let me see. What was it like to be told? I mean, that you're not allowed to speak on the floor. I mean, what emotionally was going on for you when the taxpayers pay your salary to be able to speak and and represent them? So I stood up on a bill about LGBTQ rights. But when you're not allowed to speak about any legislation going forward, quickly, my mind turned to core principles of democracy. What do we have in this country if those in power can at any point say, oh, I don't care that you were elected. You don't get to say anything. You don't get to speak. You do not get to represent your community. Make no mistake, the Republicans could pass any legislation they wanted. They had a super majority. Any bill they wanted, even if the governor hated it, they could pass it. So it was not enough to get a bill across the line. What they wanted was silence. They wanted complicity. And to me, that is a harrowing thing. That is something that if you care about democracy in the country, you want people to be able, they were elected, to be able to represent the voices of the people who elected them. That's how our government should function. And then what's it been, how has your community and your constituents responded? Uh, with love, um, with pride. Uh, I travel around Missoula uh, regularly, um, you know, walking to the farmer's markets and to the coffee shops where I like to work and all of that. And, uh, you know, I knew going there that I was representing my community. I knew standing up that I was having the kind of courage that the people who elected me expected me to have. And returning to my city, that's what I found is joy and gratitude. And I, I echo that back to them. That's so awesome. Um, what was it like having the White House support you? Not many people get the actual White House and President Biden and the government standing behind you going, you did it right. You know, I for me, this is when we talk about you know the future of this country and what we want to see. I think it paints between you know Tennessee, between uh, Democrats in Nebraska, you know, Maury Turner in Oklahoma. Um, myself up here, we are painting a vision of what it means to be a Democrat in, um, you know, not in California, 
um, right. say like, what does it mean to stand up and really speak our values? And for me, that is something incredibly important going forward. How do Democrats, you know, Democrat messaging project, how do we message in a way that isn't trying to find an imagined middle ground between eradication and acceptance? Yes, there is no middle ground. So, and how do you say, you know, this is what I believe in and this is what I'm willing to fight for and sell that vision. And I think for the White House to recognize that, for other legislators across the state and country to recognize that, it paints a picture of what the Democratic Party could be. Yes. Uh, for our listeners that don't necessarily know what happened after you were told you couldn't talk on any bill, um, what I loved is that you went then and sat out in the lobby, in the which is a public space, and you even took your number from your desk and put it by your chair, and what and that the leader, the so what I call him is the so-called leader of the House, uh, of your state assembly, because I don't see him as a leader at all. But he came out and told you you couldn't sit there, and you said, "Oh, I'm sorry, but it is a public space." Then what I loved is the fifth grade move of since most of the legislators are men, their wives, their sweet little wives came and took up all the seats. So you couldn't sit there, made fun of you, tissue, all that kind of thing. It was such a fifth grade move. I, I mean, I haven't heard of that since fifth grade, actually. I was, I've been talking to some high school students and they're all looking at me like, what? The, the grownups did that. But what I loved is then your constituents came in early, took up all the seats every day so that you could sit down. So I would love to hear what it was like to have that support, but also be there. I am here. I am representing. I am going to be as close as I can be. I think your last point is really what I want to focus on. You know, the Speaker of the House, um, I will not call him the so-called Speaker, uh, but Speaker McGear, um, you know, the motion was brought by Majority Leader Vinton, and it said you cannot be in the House gallery, uh, the antechamber, or the main House floor itself. And to me, the work I wanted to do was as close as I could be to the seats, to my seat. And that outside gallery uh, area, or not gallery, that outside um, lobby area, which has like the snack bar and everything, is a place that is frequented by legislators regularly. As they go in and out, you know, get coffee, uh, go, you know, to their spaces and, and check in with a lobbyist in the hallway or whatnot. And to me, that was the best spot for me to do my work. I wasn't able to speak on the House, but I could catch a Republican coming out and I could say, hey, we've talked about this bill when it was in judiciary. Like, I just want to double check, like, where are we at on this? Because, you know, I'm trying to kill a bad bill. Um or go to a Democrat who's coming through and saying, hey, uh, I'm not obviously not going to be able to speak on this, but are we going to be able to get X, Y, and Z across? It's really important. I would be up there talking. Can someone come in and say that? That's not the representation my constituents elected me for, but it's the closest thing that I could get. So that hallway became important for me. When the speaker came out, I wanted to clarify and said, I'm my understanding is I can be here. Like, Get, get clarification, my minority leader stepped in and made sure that I was able to stay on that bench. And then when the speaker's mother and other legislators' wives came and sat on the bench, for me, distraction. I wasn't going to let myself be distracted by that. 
I knew there was a standing spot in that same room. And I said, you know, I'm a dance instructor, a former athlete, like I'm going to go up there and I'm going to stand. And I worked all day at that stand desk and I danced the day away. (laughs) Oh, that must've driven them crazy. I don't know. I was, I was busy working. (laughs) This is why we need lawmakers like you. Um, I just want to go over some of the the egregiousness across the country. So again, so our listeners know, lawmakers in 37 U.S. states have introduced 525 bills to restrict gender-affirming health care for trans and gender-expansive people this year, nearly three times as many as last year. Most target gender-affirming care for trans children under 18, but many now target adults as well. This is a new record, according to the the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, and twice the number of last year where it was starting to really, you know, bubble up. Education and healthcare-related bills in particular are also flooding the at unprecedented levels. There has been a heavy focus on regulating curriculum. I love that regulating curriculum in public schools, which I call banning books and not allowing the truth about our past to be taught, including discussions of gender identity and sexuality. I say, let's not talk about sex with kids. Let's not talk about sexuality. And then we punish them when they're sexual. Anyway, the other laws, I wanted to give that as part of what's going on in the country. The other law passed in Montana, signed by the governor whose non-binary child begged him not to sign it, was the one that defined what sex meant. A woman is someone that had two X chromosomes and ovum at birth, and a man had Y chromosomes. What frightened me, and I wanted to ask you about this because I haven't heard it discussed, and I'm sure you've got an opinion, But what frightened me was buried in that law is who could not get married. There was a whole list, like an uncle can't marry his niece. I'm surprised that it didn't say people couldn't marry their dogs. What stuck out to me is that people of the same sex cannot get married in this bill that is now law. There currently is a federal law that supersedes this, but it seems to be a trigger law buried in the bill waiting for the Supreme Court of the U.S. to make federal same-sex marriage illegal, which Justice Thomas has said they plan to do. All of these seem to be a desire to control all people who are non-binary, queer, two-spirited, not to mention abortion and birth control bans to control women in general. Can you tell us this a lot, but can you tell us what your thoughts are about all of this, especially Number 17 within that bill saying same-sex people cannot get married. Yeah, I there's so much in that. And at some point, I'd like to come back to uh, healthcare for trans youth, what that looks like and what that means. Yeah. Um, so pin in that. But this Senate Bill 458, which is the bill you're speaking of, um, it is it attempts to misdefine sex as exclusively binary. Uh, in my floor speech on that, I said you could not define sex as binary any more than you could legislate that the earth is flat. I loved that line. Intersex people exist, trans, non-binary, two-spirit people exist. We have existed and we will continue to exist despite these laws. Now, interestingly, they recognize this a little bit because their definition of binary sex went through three versions 
in the bill as it went through committee. And they tried to make a version and the medical community came in and said, you are erasing basically everyone. Um, and then they adjusted again. They said, you're still missing the mark completely. This doesn't work. And then they did it a third time and the medical community said the same thing. And then they just plugged their ears and went forward. Now, that was the definition. Interestingly, the back half, it was like a 60 page long bill at 42 sections. And it was just a copy paste you know, here's our new definition. And then anywhere sex was mentioned, they went down the list and said, you know, no, 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 no. So one of those was the trigger law around marriage. Um, so the, you know, the outdated same-sex marriage ban, they just tacked on, you know, something to make sure that trans people got hit in that. Um, but then also uh, it had weird effects. Like there was, there was a moment in the committee in which I asked the sponsor, hey, do you know what's going on in section 31 of your bill? And he sat and he read it. And it was silent for about 50 seconds of him not saying anything, me not saying anything. And finally he went, no, I don't know what that section does. And I said, well, I don't know what it does. And I, I said, well, I read, I read your bill and I'll tell you what it does. And what it actually did was it created a carve out. There is a section in our law that says you cannot uh, cell, um, like, uh, you know, stem cells or, um, eggs to be used. You can't use, uh, take your eggs and use them for human cloning. And this created an exception that said, basically said, unless you're intersex, if you're intersex, you can do it because they made it very specific to two X chromosomes, you know, women in their definition. Um, oh my God, there was that. It, there was something that put us in breach of an interstate compact with the Department of Corrections. Um, there was a section that made it so that there was a risk where a prosecutor who was feeling particularly evil uh, could argue that sex crimes against children who weren't in this binary could be ignored, that there could be a loophole for them. It was a egregiously ill-crafted bill. Now, will these cases come forward? Was it the intent of the bill? No, the intent was to erase trans people, non-binary, two-spirit people, intersex people, to erase our pasts, our presents, and our futures. And that marriage provision in there is one that is scary as someone who is engaged and is hoping to get married and wondering, is Montana the state that I get married in or not? Um, you know, there was a section in there that said, when you are interred in the grave, that they have to mark you as your sex assigned at birth. I can, and you know, I live a happy life with a stepson and a fiance soon to be wife. Um, and I hope that after a long life, I'll have a tombstone that says, here lies Zoe Zephyr, beloved mother, beloved wife, you know, friend to many, champion of justice and equality, et cetera. Um, and the state says, that's all well and good, but in our books, we're going to mark male. That is an attempt to erase a community. And there's not a justifiable, the state has no justifiable interest to do so. And I think when it comes to the court, we'll see it fail for that reason. Well, and for and three other states beside Montana have created what is being termed erasure laws because they really, really want to get rid of all of what you just mentioned. They, and the power of the people, really, they want to get rid of all of it. And this is, I could start my rant on fascist governments, but I'm not going to. We're going to stay looking at, looking at this. Um, 
let, let's go to, you know, go back to the pin in it. What concerns you most about all these anti-trans bills? So the way in which, and you mentioned this briefly, the only type of care that is not decided by doctors, patients, uh, parents, um, you know, that taking trans healthcare and saying, you know what, when it comes to knee surgery, we listen to every major medical organization. And we say, we respect your judgments. We respect your opinions. We respect the research that you've done. And then when it comes to trans healthcare saying, we don't care that every single major medical association in this country supports this care. We're going to ignore that. That is harrowing to me. And the way in which they try to frame trans healthcare is, um, I mean, it's disingenuous, obviously, but it's, it's cruel. And it's important to note that trans healthcare for minors begins with social transition. It is allowing someone to cut their hair short, to grow it long, to dress the way that they want to dress, and to maybe use pronouns that they want to be using. You know, if a 10-year-old says, I prefer to go by Lucy, you let you call them Lucy. You let that be. And down the road, if they are, according to the DSM-5, insistent, consistent, and persistent in their gender identity and say, no, 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 I am trans, I am trans, I am trans. Then down the road, you look for puberty blockers, which says, hey, let's put a pin in puberty and let's let's sit with this for a second to see if this is how you feel as you continue to age. And then down the road in the teens, you're looking for hormone replacement therapy where they go on hormone replacement therapy, which is the care that I'm on that I take regularly. And that's the type of care that they're trying to ban. And it's important when we talk about how this is discriminatory to acknowledge the way in which it targets a specific community. If you have a, a daughter who is eight and undergoing a precocious early puberty, you can get puberty blockers for that child. You can say, oh, no, we know this is safe and practice care. We're gonna put a pin in puberty so that you can go through puberty at the same time as your peers. State doesn't have an issue with that. If you are 16 and you are a gymnastics you know, champion and suddenly uh, your breasts are growing big and you don't feel comfortable in your body, you're feeling awkward in your sport, your mother and you could go in and say, you know what, I really wanna you know, get a breast reduction. I really wanna do that. And the state says, great, A-okay, we're not gonna step in the way of that. But if it's a trans child who says I'd actually like uh, um, to top surgery, the state says, no, you can't do that. And so when you're, when you have, you know, yays and nays in terms of surgical procedures, in terms of general healthcare procedures, like medication, um, even social transition, and you say yes for a community that is cisgender, but no to a community that is transgender, that is inherently discrimination. And it's again, why these bills continue to largely fail in the courts. Yes, and hopefully we'll continue to do that. Yes, the only other place that uh, that the legislatures now, you know, that Republican guy down the street now has more, that's been elected, has more rights uh, than doctors, people, parents, uh, the other place that they're doing that is in abortion and birth control. I would love to see what would happen if the state legislators decided like, 
we're going to decide about knee surgery. We're going to decide about cancer drugs. I mean, of course, it's never going to happen. But it's infuriating that they're, you know, going after one group to go, you aren't girls and boys in the way you're supposed to be. We don't like it. And they talk about, you know, one of the things that um, anti-trans advocates and legislators will try to push is they'll say, you know, there's, what if there's a regret rate? What if they regret a procedure? And you look at regret rates of knee surgery and they are, you know, 20%, something along those lines. I don't remember the exact, maybe. Um, you look at regret rates for uh, trans healthcare, exceedingly low, less than 1% on average. And I believe the last big study that came out showed zero. And the, trans people know who we are and we are not rushing into things. We are having conversations with our doctors. We are having conversations um, with healthcare providers and therapists to make sure that we're getting care that we need. Yes. And now that it's actually out in the open, you know, I keep thinking when they're banning drag shows, those have been going on for thousands of years in every culture. And now suddenly uh, they're going to get them. And what I always want to remind people that the, that the, at least the modern uh, gay and lesbian movement and trans movement started with a group of drag queens in New York city, taking on the police you know, back in those days when I myself was a, 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 you know, an activist, a lesbian activist in San Francisco, and we, you know, it's like, I thought well, dykes will inherit the earth. Of course, obviously we will. Um, it was the times in San Francisco. Uh, and it, it's so disturbing to see what's happened now. It's like, and I say that trans non-binary lesbians and gay people have to inherit the earth or it will be destroyed. So I actually want to, I want to pull to a slightly different conversation. And that conversation is, um, you know, you talk about drag queens and the bills come targeting that community. Um, talk about abortion care and bills trying to limit or prohibit that. One of the things that's really interesting is when legislators talk about this legislation, they will say, oh, I actually, it is just, I just want to talk about this particular type of abortion care, d &E. I just want to talk about d &E abortions. That's all this bill is about. I just want to talk about this one book that has three pages in it that I don't like. That's, that's the book that I really, it's, it's just about this, or it's just about this narrow, narrow, narrow scope. Every time they get one of those bills through, there's a new narrow scope that they want to look at. But it's important to note that the people who support these bills aren't having conversations about that narrow scope. A person who comes out and says, I don't want to see trans people in sports at all, aren't having a narrow conversation about, you know, should trans people have to go through HRT before participating at a certain level, da, 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 da. They're getting angry when Kim Petras is on the cover of Sports Illustrated and ripping it off the shelves. They're tearing down targets when they see a pride parade. When abortion access is coming up, they're not saying, well, you know, X, Y, and Z is acceptable. They are going all out. It is a rage that does not have an end. And that is why it's so important in the legislatures when we see bills that try to present themselves as narrowly targeted, that we call them out for what they are. Attempts yes. at eradication, attempts at utter control, of a population. 
Yes. Yes. No, I, I so appreciate you making that point about all of this because it's all part of the your censures caucus that you're in talking when you mentioned uh Maury, uh, Maury Turner from Oklahoma, the Justins from Tennessee, uh, who, by the way, Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, for those uh, that are listening that don't know, uh, they were two Black young men that were kicked out of the Tennessee legislature because they wanted to talk about uh, gun, gun laws. And Maury Turner was kicked out for similar reasons, and she is a non-binary person from Oklahoma. Uh, what's notable about Tennessee is there was also a white woman who was part of the Justin's um, demonstration and she was not kicked out. So it's very important uh, that we do exactly what you're saying and talk about what is really being said here. Yeah. And what's it like, because I know you've met with some of this Censure Caucus. Um, I'm wondering what you, how it was meeting with them and Justin, Justin Jones, Representative Jones, giving that giving that name to the to the group of us. Uh, um, you know, for me, one of the things that I say to folks is, you know, when I'm when people say, you know, how do you stand up? How do I help? What do I do? You know, I talk about legislatures are a room that I it's a room that I'm in. It's not the most important room to be in. Every room that we are in, whether it's you in this podcast room, whether it's a listener in their you know, home or workplace, standing up, the importance of standing up in those rooms and finding that when you stand up, that there are millions of people who are standing up beside you to fight for a better, kinder country. And it's easy to say that, but I wanted to show people that. And so when I took a road trip across the country to meet with these folks, part of that work was to say, hey, We've been standing up in our states, but we're also in communication and community with one another. We saw one another stand up and said, that's someone who I want to fight beside. And it has been uplifting to see the way in which each of us have found strength and community uh, in our states and the fire that we have. You would think that, you know, in the face of this cruelty, there would be a large like, oh God, I'm exhausted or this is too, too much. But all of us have a fire and are saying, you know what? We can do good. We see the response to this. We see the way people are standing up and going, you know what? That's not the kind of country I want to live in. I've had MAGA Republicans come up to me and say, I'd have sat on that bench for you. You are my hero. I'm, I'm a Republican through and through, but damn, you did it. You pushed back against people who wanted to undercut this democracy against bullies. And that's that's that it is very heartening. And I think it's very important for people to understand that almost every one of these laws is written exactly the same in every state. It they are being funded. They are connected hate groups that are doing this in four main ones. The Alliance Defending Freedom, love that. Defending Freedom, they're doing anything but defending freedom. The Family Research Council, the Focus on Family, the American College of Pediatricians, not to be confused with the American Pediatric Association, which they definitely want to confuse you on. They've all been designated as hate groups by the Southern Poverty Law Center. And the newest member is Moms for Liberty. I love how they have all these names that have nothing to do with liberty, freedom, or family. And so what can what can people do when you say we've got this fire? 
Um, what is it that you think people can do? Oh, wait a minute, before, before you answer that, because I think that one of the things that you've published, which I think your fiance, Erin Reed, if I may mention her name, um, <laughs> who is kick ass on in her own right, um, I think she created the map that is of the United States and uh, tells all of the places where horrible laws are being done. And we're going to put a link to that map uh, in our on our website so that people can see all that. And Erin Reed, just so people know, has a show called Erin in the Morning and that she also reports on protective and anti-LGBTQ plus legislation all across the country. And she's amazing. So, but what can, so I want to say that because it's one thing where people can get the information. She has great information on there about how dangerous all this is. An encyclopedic knowledge and it's all in her, her substack, And it's honestly in just, if you want to be in touch with what's going on in LGBTQ policy, she is the number one source. I'm biased because I'm engaged to her, but <laughs> she's great. Yeah, no, she's amazing. The two sets of brains in your household. I can't even imagine it. And if your son is anything like the two of you, it's like, is there even any room? You might have to, you know, add on. Um, so tell me, um, tell me what it is that people can do, because I always like to be positive. You know, I've started these groups, local majority that does research for state legislative candidates. Well, I've done uh, a, a democratic messaging project, which is putting up billboards, doing um, uh, digital ads across the country. But what, because people feel disempowered, which is of course the point. They feel like, what can I do? So if you can tell us some of what people can do. Uh, I gave a bunch of speeches during Pride Month traveling the country, and there was a running inside joke in my team that they were hiring me to give a speech on Pride, but it was like a Trojan horse to have discussions about affordable housing and unions. And yes, yes. I, I feel like, you know, my union leader sort of patting my back behind me, sort of uh, Star Wars force style, uh, when I say local, 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 local is the answer. Um, stand up in your communities. And that sometimes can be, you know, running for school board, which is where those, those orgs, you know, that are trying to undercut democracy and, and really eradicate LGBTQ people from public school curriculum, that's where they're focusing their efforts. So if you've got kids in school, if you care about public institutions, looking at your libraries, looking at those places, how do you stand up in those spaces? But also, it can be conversations in the farmer's market. It can be, you know, park cleanups and, you know, dance classes and all of that. There is a sense that Democrats need to show up in yes. spaces. It is like, you got to vote. That's, you know, obviously like the fundamental thing to do to make, to make change is to put your name on the ballot or not your name, but put a name on the ballot. Um, but it's also really important that we are showing up in spaces, both where we have a lot of Dems and where we don't. You know, there was a, a, a pro-choice uh, rally up in uh, rural Montana recently and having, you know, saying, you know, here's who we are and here's what we believe and let's talk about it. Let's be bold about that. You know, there's conversations in Montana about 
oh, if you had a district that leans very heavily Republican, do, do, do you run an independent there and try to, to siphon votes that way and maybe get that independent through? Like, is that the answer to get a better candidate? And maybe there's a spot where that works. But for me, you need people in every community saying, I'm a Democrat and that's not an accident. I'm a Democrat. These are the values I have. These are what I'm standing for. And it's important and good to be that. And being able to be present consistently in every area of our community, not necessarily coming in politically, bang, 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 here's what I believe in, but being the person who shows up at the at the park cleanups, being the person who is bubbly and fun and having conversations at your local community events, those make a difference. Those help move the needle. Every conversation does. Yes, I think I think it's so important. It's just interesting to me. Well, in 2021, you heard that two bills passed your legislature by what was it? One vote, one vote. And yeah. that's what got you decide to run for office. I mean, it's so it, that's so amazing that you were willing to do that. And I know a lot of people feel like they can't. But here you are, ordinary, well, ordinary, brilliant citizen. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, please. Uh, you know, that was willing to do that. And here you are, you got elected. The other thing, and I do want to say something on the Democrat thing. There's been some way in which we have been um, made ashamed or fearful of saying we're Democrats. And I think it's really, really important. The truth is this no labels party that is really frightening me that's saying to people, oh, we're going to be moderate and in the middle. They're not moderate or in the middle. In fact, they're they're funded by the far, far right wing. It's important for us to call ourselves Democrats, to vote Democrat up and down the ballot, to reelect Biden. It is really important for us to be Democrats and be proud Democrats. And there are, you know, again, we talked to that earlier question about the White House response and all of that, but we want to see, as citizens, we want to see candidates who are authentic who speak their values, who stand up for those values. If you get elected and your thought is, ooh, before I say anything about this, I should really get polling. You know, what's the right word to talk about abortion care? What is the right word to talk about LGBTQ issues? Should I stay silent on this aspect or that aspect? You've already lost the fight. Yes. We, you stand up for marginalized communities. You stand up for disenfranchised folks, whether that is LGBTQ people, whether that is people who need abortion access, whether that is union workers. You stand up. You be proud to stand up. And after that, you talk about how do we frame this conversation? How do we do that? But if you sit and are worried, you know, make if you continually make yourself small for fear of what an imagined middle might say, you've lost. You got hired to speak through your lens. Yes. Through it. Yes, exactly. And the reality is the majority of people in the United States, in red states, blue states, purple states, agree with the democratic agenda. And it's very important because the democratic agenda is freedom for all people. We're not about fascism. That just isn't where we're at. 
what yeah, I know that you've said you're going to run again in 2024, but you still have a year left on this term. What are your highest priorities and its legislative priorities? And then I have, I mean, to answer at the same time, perhaps, is um, do you how do you expect to help get some of that passed? But if you could start with what your vision. So Montana is actually very interesting as in one of the four states in the nation, I believe, that only meets every other year, like Texas. Oh, Texas. It, yep, Texas is another one of them. And there's two Texas. blank on. Right, yeah. So we are not going to be in session, barring a special session. Ah. Uh, there's interim committee work. And I sit on the Consumer Council Committee that you know looks, makes sure that the agency who fights against the public service commissions, like in, in lawsuits and stuff, um, I, I oversee that committee. Um, I, I'm on that committee that oversees that work. Um, but for me, so for me, a lot of the work does come in the next election cycle. You know, uh, there, will okay. not be a, there will not be a super majority next cycle if Dems can stand up and we, we just redistricted. So there's a chance that we pick up a handful of seats. My work going forward in the next 18 months is interim committee work, meeting with constituents, community organizations, trying to start drafting good policy so that we've got a bunch of that when we hit the hit the 2025 legislative cycle. Uh-huh. And then the third aspect is, you know, I have a platform now. And how do I use that platform to make sure that I am extending a hand to the next wave of people who want to get in and do good work? How can I help them? I would not have been able to get into office had I not had advice from the people who came before me. Mm-hmm. So making sure I can help folks, help fundraise for them, help guide them on how public speaking, door knocking, stuff like that. So that when 2025 comes, we don't just have more Democrats. We have more Democrats who have the courage to stand. Yeah. Who are proud of who they are. Very, that's very, very exciting. One thing I wanted to find out about, because I live in an area of California where people have a lot of ranches, second homes, condominiums in Montana. I am wondering if you've been ever able, because even though they might not vote in that state, they don't need to tell their legislator that. And they can say, my ranch, my home, my condo is in your district. And this is what I think is important. I'm wondering if you've been able to meet with, because I don't know what the percentage is. All I know is, I know a lot of people that have homes in Montana that live here in California. Any chance in meeting with some of them? You know, uh, if they reach out to us, I'm sure we'd have conversations with them. I will say that the general feeling in Montana is that that is something that is really disheartening for our community. You know, I, if someone wants to get a home in Montana, you know, move from California to Montana and put down roots and be an active member of the community, heck yeah. Like come here and see why I think Missoula, Montana is the best place on the planet. Like full stop. I love this place uh, just so much. Um, my coffee mug is a map of my district. Like, uh, oh, whoa, that's so cool. I love this place. But if you want to buy a second home here and show up intermittently and not really be connected, you're not only missing out on the things that make Montana amazing, you are pulling away from the community that lives here. 
What do you mean pulling away? You are, sorry, you are siphoning the resources Ah. the community who lives here needs. We have a housing crisis here. People are buying, you talk about people buying up second homes here. There are also people buying up Airbnbs here. You know, I would knock doors and I I remember this one lady, I knocked her door and I asked about, you know, other, how does it feel? Like what's going on in the neighborhood? And she pointed out six houses on her 14 house block and said, those are all short-term rentals. There's another four that are long-term rentals. There's four of us spread across this block who have been here longer than three or four years. Oh, interesting. So, so you talk about community and like, how do you build a community that will stand up and support one another? It can feel hard to do so if everyone is changing around you on on a yearly basis, on a weekly basis. On a daily basis. Yeah. If it's Airbnbs. That stuff can be really hard. And I think folks coming in from out of state recognize Montana's beauty. And I would say, one, reach out to me. I'd love to talk. Two, put down roots here. Get active in the community. Not just because that will help, you know, us want to talk to you more. I'll talk to you regardless. Mm -hmm. But you will make Montana the place that you want it to be if you work on putting down roots here. Interesting. Interesting. No, that's great. That's a great perspective that of course I don't have, which is why we need to hear from you. <laughs> um, and how can people support you in, in, in your work and your own, your own freedom, your own real freedom caucus in Montana? That's, I also, hated that they that they use that word it's they're the anti-freedom caucus but how can people support you and we'll have links to donate to you representative zephyr and to you know whatever it is that you'd like us to know about that we would love to put links on our website Uh, yeah you uh, go to my website you can see sort of what i stand for what i do um there should be an overhaul to that coming in the next month or two um, as I move towards uh, re-election in 2024. Um, so if you want to stay in tune with local Montana politics, my socials are all at Zoe and Behold um, on you know, Twitter, Instagram, threads, TikTok, uh, et cetera, Facebook. Um, and then ultimately, I really do mean it. Stay involved in your local communities. That is the number one thing to do. If you want to track stuff I'm going to do on the ground as I go forward, keep uh, in tune over the next six weeks or so when I'll be sort of announcing more work that I'm that I'm doing on that front as I get started. I've been having conversations with Democratic uh, counties across the state. And so as I start to push to try to help those candidates, keep your ears peeled for that as well. Yeah, this is very exciting. Um, and I love the idea of, you know, all politics is personal all politics, think global, but act local. Um, you know, all these phrases that we have is really important. I'll, ask, I'll add a final thread to that. And I think it's the, the beautiful thing is the line between I wish I could help and I am a pillar of this fight is so much thinner than you think it is. Yes. And if you stand up and say, I want to get involved, I want to help in this, you will find that people will be pulling you in through the door. And if you do the work and push for your values, 
you'll be uh, integral in the fight before you before you know it. No, and integral in the fight. I love it that they kicked you out of the legislature and made you a national figure for your for your beliefs and all of the stuff you stand for. I, you know, we don't have time to go into all of it, but the housing, the unions, and we have to mention that on the day that we're doing this, the UAW has gone out on strike for the first time, I think, ever. And against the three big automakers. Uh, for the disparate treatment of the people who actually make the cars and the people who hobnob with uh, politicians such as yourself at the top. Uh, I didn't see him hobnobbing with me. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. Uh, anyway, uh, so we have to mention this is, you know, mark the date, people. September 15th, 2023, the UAW went out on strike. And it's amazing to see UAW striking, to see the SAG after strikes, to see Starbucks Workers United across industry after industry, people saying, you know what? We are seeing profits go up. We are seeing housing costs go up and we aren't seeing barely any of that. And when workers come together and fight, we win. Yes. And I want to remind workers and union workers, voting for Democrats is how you're going to keep your, your union strong. It just is the way it is. And I know that there's been a topsy-turvy kind of thing about union workers, working class people voting Republicans because of these culture issues. And I just want to say, please, please, please believe what you know is true, not what you think might be true in the future. We've had a dozen or two dozen uh, anti-union bills brought before the state of Montana in the past decade. Um, all of them, every single one of them brought by Republicans. Yes. And I know you might feel, those of you out here listening to that, um, might feel, well, I've got something more in common with Republicans about whatever the, the cultural issues are. They're only throwing that at you because they want to get rid of your unions. And so I love it that there is a resurgence. Before we go, is there anything else that you would like to share about anything with our audience, including if you want to say anything about Aaron, um, you know, I'm very nosy. I'm a nosy lesbian. So. <laughs> so, you know, what I will say, and actually Aaron's a great place to end, you know, Aaron and I got engaged four days after the session ended. And for me, it's important to recognize that laws can do many things. They can make us scared. They can make people feel like they need to leave the states that they call home. Um, they can limit what happens in schools. They cannot take away the love we have for ourselves and the love we have for one another. And that is something that regardless of the issues that we're fighting for, it's important to recognize that each of us is fighting, at least on, on, on my side over here, with love in our hearts. And I hope y'all have that in yours as well. And I hope y'all join me in the fight. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you for spending time with us. Representative Zephyr, it's really exciting to spend this time with you and you remain and it makes even more, I'm gonna get a little teary, a shiro. Much thank love. You. Thank you so thank much you. for having me. Thank you. It was a pleasure.
Marjorie Taylor Greene's knees buckle every time she hears it. It's time for Joe Ranty's Rant. Let me say that Joe Ranty, my alias, often rants about the topic of fascism in our country. It is put simply, the definition is extreme nationalism and the supremacy of one single leader over the individual. Does that sound familiar? Taking over the U.S. in so many forms is this fascist regimes that are trying to happen. I have many examples, but let's stick with the one we were talking about today with Representative Zephyr about the anti-LGBTQ laws around the country, which are hell-bent on taking rights away from individuals. There have been 540 anti-LGBT bills introduced around the country in state houses in, in 2023. Again, I'm not talking about 1953. I'm talking about 2023. There are some of those that have become laws in many different realms of this whole issue of taking away the rights of individuals. There are many of those that have become laws in different aspects of the anti-LGBTQ controlling individuals and taking power for very narrow segments of the population. These are the ones. 25 are now laws of different natures related to anti-LGBTQ. 13 more laws make it illegal for people under 18 to have gender affirming care. 30 laws are controlling bathroom use. 100 laws are banning books. And there are 40 laws now banning drag performances. And there are so much more, but that's just some highlights. So state legislatures are taking over the medical standard of care and is moving the state legislatures to decide what will happen for trans people. Now, this is in all the different ways that they're wanting to control trans people. In 37 states, they want to do the same on abortion in 43 states. And then 12 states are restricting access to birth control. I know no one's wanted to believe me on that one, but it's true. And there's many more coming. Oddly, all of this legislation of deciding what is medical standard of care is for genitals. Isn't that odd? The people who don't want you to talk about or celebrate sex, they don't want to teach it in schools, they don't want anyone speaking about it, they shame women for being sexual, those people are obsessed with your genitals. Suddenly, your elected Republican guy down the street is now more powerful when it comes to your health care than your doctor or yourself. Imagine if the state legislatures decided whether cancer drugs were, were legal. Imagine what would happen. The other piece of this that is extremely 
frightening, in my opinion, are the so-called erasure laws. These have been passed, as we just heard from Representative Zephyr, in Montana, Tennessee, Kansas, and North Dakota. These laws overtly want to eliminate transgender and gender diverse people from all aspects of society, starting in grade school and going to the grave. In fact, we just heard from Representative Zephyr, a new one that I didn't know, that there are states that Montana's included in theirs that have on the books that if you have a gravestone, you have to be registered in the ground as the gender you were assigned at birth. It, it just never stops. These anti-trans laws around the country are being created largely by four connected, well-funded hate groups. Alliance Defending Freedom. Ha, 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 ha. Freedom is the exact opposite of freedom. Anyway, I digress. I rant. The Family Research Council. Focus on the family. I love how they like to have family in there. Like that's what makes it nice and sweet and wonderful. And you should vote for them. The American College of Pediatricians, not to be confused with the American Pediatric Association. Of course, they want you to be confused. But the American College of Pediatricians is a far right group that does not take into consideration any of the large medical groups saying that gender affirming care is crucial. These have all been designated as hate groups by the Southern Poverty Law Center that keeps track of such things. The newest member of the hate groups that they've listed is Moms for Liberty. I know you've heard about them a lot lately. And when we hear about groups that much so quickly, you know that they are extremely well-funded. There are three main areas that are impacted by the anti-trans laws, medical intervention for youth under 18, and then increasingly for adults. All of this causes increased distress, suicidal ideation, and self-harm in people who are then denied their health care. Also, this is the one that is completely mind-blowing, forced outings. It's actually called that where children that are in school, if they use pronouns that are different than the ones that they were assigned at birth, or if they use names for themselves that are of the opposite sex, the teacher or the school personnel have to report this within three days, three days to their parents or guardians. There are many transgender youth that are not safe in their schools, in their homes. Well, clearly many places they're not safe in their schools either anymore. And so outing them kind of willy nilly because some fifth grader called themselves a girl or a boy when that's not how they present uh, is a dangerous situation for them. The other one, the other third area that that um, these cover are athlete bans. 
that they you have to play the sport again in the group that you were assigned at birth. There is not an epidemic of transgender girls taking over girls' sports teams. There just aren't. The vast majority of girl athlete winners are also cisgender, or for those of you who don't know that term, a gender that you identify with and you also present to the outside world. So what can we do? I don't I don't like to just have all the bad news and oh my God, let's ring hands and let's whine about it. And let's be so scared. I say, let's not agonize, let's organize. Give your energy, time, money, and action to stopping this extremism in your states and then helping other states stop it in theirs. We have to elect Democrats. There is literally only groups of Republicans that are doing this. Every once in a while, I have to say, every once in a while, there's a Democrat that votes on all these issues with the Republicans, but it is not the majority. They could never pass this if they were in a legislature that was predominantly Democrats. This is all Republicans doing this. So please elect Democrats, reelect President Biden, and elect Democrats up and down the ballot, meaning vote for every Democrat on your list because they, I can assure you as a group, that period, end of story, full stop, they are going to support freedom for us individuals. The state that needs your energy, time, and money right now is Virginia. The reason why is because Virginia is this November 7th, this one in six weeks, what is on the ballot is all members of their state house and Senate. Their state house is called the assembly. 140 of them are up for reelection. It's very important that we help them and there's something to do for everyone. The reason it's so important to help Virginia is they had 12 anti-LGBTQ laws introduced in the last session. They also had many anti-abortion and anti-birth control. They had many bills introduced that were about banning books and stopping teaching truth in schools. However, those did not become laws because of two members of the Virginia State Senate. So you can see how important it is to participate in state legislatures and to help Virginia with their state legislative candidates. Two uh, elections ago, a state legislative candidate won by one vote. So please help Virginia. And this is how. You get informed, of course, and we'll have links to all of this on our website. So you don't have to memorize all this, but it's this is what to do. Get informed about the politics of your state and Virginia. Vote, 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 vote every time there's a vote. Encourage others to vote and help young people get registered. They know what the stakes are, especially for their future, of climate change, but they also are paying attention 
to what's happening with restricting their right to reproductive freedom, which includes abortion and birth control. About 12% of the younger generation, the ones that are under 25, identify as some form of LGBTQ. They know their future. They know it's at risk. Also, please donate to candidates and organizations that are making a difference. You can also do send postcards. There are many groups that work on sending postcards. One is Common Cause. I'm going to have their link on our website so you can get busy immediately and start sending postcards to voters. Make phone calls. I know some people hate that, but when you get a hold of somebody, they really want to talk. People love to tell you their opinion. And then it's an opportunity for you to tell the voter who is running in their district that's a Democrat. You can also send text messages for people who don't like to do the phone thing. The biggest one is to go knock doors for candidates. If Virginia is not where you live, I know that sounds daunting, but it's actually really fun because, again, people want to tell you what they think. We'll have links about where you can go in Virginia right now. But in addition, please look up where people are sending people to vote in your state. They may not be knocking doors right now, but they will be next year. That's for sure. So early voting starts in Virginia next week, September 22nd. And we have to elect the Democrats, as I said. One of the problems with Virginia that we need to address is their governor. His name is Glenn Youngkin, and he would have signed all of these bad laws if he had been given the chance by a Republican legislature. He is a Republican. He wants to do a six-week abortion ban. He wants to do more book bans. He wants to stop LGBTQ people from being in the state. What he is trying to do is against a law in Virginia called Virginia Human Rights Act. And it's important to know that the, that the Virginia Republicans have acknowledged that their banning of gender-affirming medical care constitutes a criminal neglect and abuse of children under the current Virginia criminal code. So we want to keep that criminal code alive and well. Democrats support it and they it provides anti-LGBTQ discrimination in every area of Virginia. So Democrats support a thriving economy, which is better under state laws when it when the state is inclusive. Democrats support a women's right to choose their own path. Imagine trusting women with their own bodies and their own choices about when and or if to have a baby and to use birth control. And so you can help save Virginia, even if you don't live there. So we've got postcards that I'm going to have a link to Common Cause, but you can just get on your computer right now and write them and make phone calls and text banking with one great organization called the Democratic Volunteer Center and give money, no matter what amount that you might be able to afford. Five bucks. Imagine 
if a thousand people gave five bucks, that will really help a candidate in a state like Virginia. And these are just a few that need your time and money. We're gonna have individual candidates on there for you to support. And the we have lots of different organizations that are wonderful in terms of getting you the information you need and the place to donate money. We can win Virginia, but it takes your time, energy, and money to do it. Thank you very much for tuning in and being willing to join to save the democracy from fascism. Joe Ranty, signing off. For more information on our movement, join our mailing list or make a contribution to place highway billboards and advertisements in key battleground states. Visit democraticmessagingproject.org. Be sure to listen and subscribe to the Democratic Messaging Project with Joe Ranty on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you for listening to the Democratic Messaging Project podcast. Stay blue and preserve our democracy.